And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. It's KYT. Before we start show, I'm going to plug our sponsor, FaceToFace.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Year's 2020, new decade, new year, and we're celebrating with a new promotion. 20% off all promos. So there's a bunch of, bunch of expensive promos uh, for, for MTG. So definitely go to FaceToFaceGames.com if you've had your eyes on one. and Enjoy that sick rebate. Tonight we got the full crew on the, on the show. Uh, most nights we do. So we got John, Andy, Elliot. How's it going, boys? It's a good day. It's a good day. A new decade. Things are different now. <laughs> are they? I mean, we'll start with, um, it, it was last week already, so we're going to just run through this really briefly with the quick OP changes because, uh, just to bring it up, just because John was on his way to Austin and and he found out that you know this might have some ramifications for for possibly hitting rivals in MPL if he goes on a sick run to not mattering at all. Uh, John, what, what was your feeling about that announcement of like the first two GP perhaps providing player points to to certain players? That was a really amusing uh, whirlwind of uh, circumstances. Uh, for those who don't know, um, Magic Online tweeted a change saying that uh, they're clarifying, which is a, a bit misleading because they never like said anything about it. But then like two days before GP Austin, they said that uh, in, for the purpose of um, earning player, player tour, players points, which is useful for making MPL and rivals, I believe, um, only the first two GPs performances will count. Not like uh, the, two best in the uh, two best in the season, not anything like that. It's just like first two. And it was very inconvenient because I had already made my arrangement there and I wasn't feeling great about modern. So although it, it's highly unlikely to matter for me because I don't really have like rebels aspirations, like it, it's still like free equity to like try to realize, right? So I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Modern, this modern is like an abomination. I have absolutely no confidence. But then like they uh, subsequently tweeted out that if you want to have the GP excluded from your... Uh, players tour pool then you can email Scott Larrabee which I did and then a day later <laughs> amidst all the complaining on Twitter um, they said that hey you know we apologize for uh, we were just trying to like listen to feedback and just like provide more reasons to um, attend GPs that was the intent but the timing may, may not have worked so we're canceling the plan altogether all within like two full days like 48 hours which is like kind of bizarre but perhaps per for the course for Waxi. now I believe that the intent and the idea is, was not the worst, but to do this two days before the new season and to two days before the first actual event where people had already arranged travel plans, I think that's a bit absurd, uh, if you ask me. Um, I do think that Watsi has gotten better listening to our feedback, and I do appreciate that. It's not an easy job whatsoever, but there definitely is like a lack of a direction and some sort of uh, organization. So. Um, it wasn't a big deal for me, but I can certainly see how it may have been a big deal for a lot of people who are aspiring to get into the MPL or at least the uh, rivals. Do we know if they're reverting back to best five or, or it's nothing at all? Do any of you know? I, I believe it's I nothing believe, at all. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. Okay. Um, Elliot, like, what kind of system would you have liked to see? Like best two, best five, I mean, first two... Nothing at all. You have any any take on that? 
I think first two is a pretty good system. I mean, maybe not two, maybe it's like however many you want to do, but first X, that's like a reasonable number is, is probably the best system. And I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, this is exactly what we were talking about last week when we had Zach Allen on the show about how I think it, it is important for play design or sorry, uh, organized play, whether it's on the star sea tour or on the magic tour to somehow disincentivize people from being pressured into traveling week in, week out, week in, week out and having immense pressure on them every single weekend. Um, and obviously when you're competing, uh, at the level to that, you're going to be qualifying for the MPL or rivals or whatever, any tournament you play with stakes is going to have immense pressure. Maybe instead of feeling the pressure to grind every weekend, all of a sudden the first tournament that you're playing has some immense amount of pressure that can cause people to crack. So obviously there's no perfect system for relieving the stress in this, in this case, but I was, it's one of those announcements that for me, like three months ago, you make it, I'm the hugest fan. I mean, and I'm like John said, I'm not one of those, players who has aspirations for the MPL or rivals. I don't, I don't have delusions of grandeur, uh, but that's like the type of organized play that I feel I want to be a part of, even though like I, I'm still trying to qualify for the pro tour and all that. So even though I'm not necessarily going to be competing at the highest level, that kind of style of announcement where they're caring, clearly caring about uh, players, mental health, I think is a big boon and it, it just sucks that it was so poorly executed so poorly timed that they would like squeak it in before the very first grand prix after people had made clear plans or had clear-cut ideas for for what their level of commitment to the organized play system was and if they decide to go forward with this change for 2021 or however many quarters from now i think it's it's only for the best can I, can I remind us and everyone else here that there was some uh, Twitter discourse maybe like two weeks ago about the Star City Games Players Championship and how hard it was to get there and how un unhealthy it was in terms of mental health and like, just like dedication and just like suck, sucking everything out of their like uh, otherwise like uh, daily routine just to qualify and main uh, maintain their placing at the top and they said please like let let's have a cap here let's like promote some healthy uh, uh, play patterns in real life. And then we do have like um, the Grand Prix circuit doing something like this, and it got panned anyway. So, true, truly, it's uh, Watsi, I believe, is in a no no win situation here. Not to say that they're like I'm absolving them of like all their problems, like you know communication, organization, and timing and whatnot. But I think the idea was fine. But I, I think you can truly like never really please everyone at the same time, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, speak on that. No, well, not only was it on Twitter, then we had brought. Uh, Zach on the show, and there was feedback from on our show, like our, from friend of the show, Matthew Dilks, uh, had something to say about the whole SCG versus players sort of thing. And uh, whereas a lot of SCG thought uh, we weren't seeing, uh, well, more specifically, Andy and Elliot weren't seeing the bright side of the SCG lifestyle, we had people like D. Rude, David Rude, that said that, like, personally was talking to me that and tweeted out that they didn't feel Andy and Elliot were hard enough. On Zach, so that was interesting. That that whole discourse, and and then of course, with the whole kerfuffle of the OP announcement, everyone's like, "Yeah, that's right." I'm glad to be grinding on the SCG tour. Uh, but overall, Andy, was there anything that you wanted to add, or perhaps clarify on, on your stance, or for people you were uh, having a back and forth with, uh, namely Dilks and, and company? Yeah. Uh, so for the for the OP announcement, I guess I'll address that first. It was just. 
like a, an announcement that had good intentions that like would have done some good for players, I think, but they completely, <laughs> they, the timing of it was, I don't know, embarrassing. That's the only thing about the announcement that I thought was truly heinous is the timing of it. The thought of like, it's uh, the Thursday you're about to travel to a GP and you have to decide whether your GP counts or not. <laughs> and you've already like booked your plans or you're on your way. I, like that was pretty terrible. I think a lot of people were giving the announcement a bunch of shit for things that like weren't wrong with it exactly. It's just people kind of piling on when really the announcement was fine. It was just the timing of it. I think it's totally fair to give them a lot of crap for the timing of it. But the announcement itself was like good. It was trying to incentivize people to professional players to come to the Grand Prix without uh, like putting too much pressure on them. So it was actually like trying to hit a good, a good spot that previously they tried with GP caps and that works to an, ex an extent, but this kind of works where it's like kind of forces them to play two GPs and then they don't have to worry about it after that. That's kind of nice. Right. So I think that overall hope when it gets implemented next year, I think it is, it'll be fine. But um, as far as the SCG tour thing, I think uh, it's like, I think someone tweeted that they like min cashed the GP and they got the same amount for coming uh, fifth or whatever in the team uh, SCG open. And they got the same amount of cash. Like the stakes are just much lower at SCG. They do a great job at branding and stuff like that. But like tournament entry is still the same. Pr pretty much. Actually, I don't know about the tournament entry, so I won't talk too much about it. But uh, like the prizes aren't nearly as much as they are at a GP. So like, and then the pro tour, the prizes go up astronomically. When you start min cashing a pro tour, it's like $500, one step up, you're like 750, a thousand, which is like the same as like top fouring or aiding an SCG. So I think there's a bit, I don't know, there's a bit more to it, but I do understand staying faithful to one system. And if it's the SCG system that benefits you, it's fine. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was I listened to Allied Strategies. I believe it's Ben White's. He was saying he was remarking how he the uh, they top eight top fifth top five a team <laughs> event and like the cash reward for main cash the GP was better. Also to remind like ourselves like the GP main event attendance has been relatively lower. Um, that could be a confluence of like due to confluence of uh, factors. But the fact is, if you care about the cash EV, not ignoring the triple PTQs that you can do if you don't like the uh, format like the expected value in terms of monetary EV as well as like the potential payoff for, you know, um, a pro tour aspirations. Like, I think it's like been, it's like higher than like it's ever been at least like in the few years I've been playing. So that's a good reason to like visit these GPs in, in my opinion, at the very least, like you don't have to do too much and you don't have to overperform too much to like make, make like decent cash, like not just like, not like discounting like all the hotels and food, et cetera. But that's that's not a bad reason to like you know be incentivized to go to GPs nowadays. And if you if you if you like can only like let's say you like go hard at one and you spike you do really well you would much rather be on the pro tour side. Like spiking and like nailing it with SCG is like you get a like reasonable amount of money and you get to the players tour which is a pretty good EV event. If you like somehow spike to uh, rivals your value is incredible or if you spike even higher, obviously, but that, that's like too much to think about. But I think the, the value is uh, like monetarily and sticking on the train of, a, of the pro tour is like pretty, the best time to get on the train, I think. 
like easiest to get on and stay on the train. I do also have a, a few things I want to add about the sort of structure and importance of the announcement that was made, even though, and maybe this is totally moot because maybe they'll never go back to the system. But one, it only applies to people who are going to be grinding for rivals in MPL. There's, which is 70 slots total for the entire world. So the number of people that this announcement actually impacted is, I don't know, 200, 250 in the entire world. Two, the system of uh, only giving the first X, I think is much better when you consider the, like the scale of the whole world because APAC only gets two or three Grand Prix per quarter compared to North America, which maybe gets you know, without the figures in front of me, six or seven. So I think there has to be some sort of logic where players in APAC aren't being forced to, to fly across the ocean. And the third one is compared to the system, like before this announcement, we had no idea that Grand Prix were at all going to contribute, except for people who are vying for rivals and MPL who are not already there, you need to qualify for the the players tours to have any shot at anyway and playing grand prix is by far the best way to get there because of the partial point system so if you are someone who was trying to get into rivals mpl you already should have been going to every grand prix and then if that's the case who cares about the announcement i don't know i think people got upset for kind of no reason but it's fine to only implement it next year because the timing was very bad that's my two cents wow <laughs> I think I think when you're breaking down to, to how much uh, people would actually mattered, uh, that's a, that's a good point, Elliot. And and I'm I'm trying to think like if if this even increase like having just two GPs counts. Does it even increase attendance if if that's actually even one of their goals? Not really, right? If you're just forcing them to just go to two, um, all these pros that that want clear points to matter. And I, I don't know, Alex brought, I, I thought was an interesting point. I'd like your thoughts on it, Elliot, where like he felt like it's kind of weird when um, uh, players playing against each other, like their incentives might be, their benefits might be, there might be a huge gap where one player is just playing for let's say a higher GP cash and the other person is like, let's say vying for an NPL and it's like, let's say possibly a 10 or 20K swing whether they win or lose. And uh, that's, that's an interesting situation to, to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's not that different from the old system that we had, if you think about it. And this is the reason why at, uh, at the old Pro Tours, and I assume it's carried on through each iteration now at the Players Tour, where the last round is, uh, unlike regular Swiss tournament, where it's based purely on standings, at Pro Tours and Players Tours, they try to pair them based on what the match means to people. So uh, under the old system, if you were playing for gold, you were less likely to be paired against someone who was playing for just the cash. They tried to pair you against someone else who's playing for gold to match incentives. And I didn't even know they, do, they did that. At like, at what level of tournament? Only, only pro tours. And I think it's okay. carried on through Mythic Championships and Players Tours as well, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But okay, well. I mean, even under the old system where you got pro points for playing in Grand Prix, if you had a top finish, uh, there was always that awkward dance when you got to that last round and maybe you'd know your opponent or don't. Uh, you kind of do that awkward, like, hey, do the do the points matter to you? You know, well, I, you know, I got 
I got a pro tour I'm qualified for. So, you know, maybe if I pick up these three points, I can string together silver. So, eh, and, you know, it brings some awkwardness there. So I think that was always kind of the case. And maybe it's exacerbated because uh, without the levels of like silver and gold and bronze, uh, the incentives are going to be much swingier between just min cash and someone vying for a rivals or MPL slot. Uh, but that definitely is, you know, one of those awkward dances during the last round, which is why they've started more and more giving the bribery announcement during <laughs> round 14 and 15. Because it is lucrative. Um, Alex was, was candid. He was, he was going to, in private, he was going to publish, um, break down his earnings and expenses uh, of his MPL year in 2019, just to be transparent, to give uh, players or, or listeners or fans uh, an inside look at, at what it was like to to have a year under the MPL. But he also didn't want to come across as uh, bragging or anything. So me and him were, were debating like how, how that tweet or whatever would, would come across. But uh, he, he let it slip uh, intentionally in, in our last table for two that he made just roughly around one from 100 to 200 K USD um, from, from being an MPL and having an above average and some might say mediocre year because he fell off the MPL. So that was a lot of money. That's, that's like a huge swing. If, if um, you're in the final, I don't know if the situation would happen that often, but as you're in the final match and you need that win to like really shoot you up and guarantee basically six figures. It's not like, yeah, it's not like, the old system where you're just like hoping to hit silver or gold. So, um. I, if I remember correctly, there was also some sort of rule for MPL members that they weren't allowed to concede or ask for concessions in the Swiss rounds. And I remember there was some there was some drama related to that at uh, uh, the Grand Prix London, where it was the pre-release Grand Prix, like legitimately pre-release, uh, where that you needed to do like flights and have X through better a record. And Mike Sigrist was like mega dead on board going to turns where draw eliminated them both, but he wasn't allowed to concede or else he'd be breaking his contract. And so like without some intervention from the organized play team, this, uh, his opponent would have been drawn out of day two, even though Mike Sigrist, you know, if his hands weren't tied, definitely would have conceded the, the person into day two. So wow, that's, definitely, interesting. that's another dynamic. And, and, to touch going back, you you said it if is whether if it's only the top or the first two Grand Prix, is it really incentivizing more people to show up? I don't know if it's necessarily more as an actual volume, but definitely more from a quality perspective in terms of more players who are vying for rivals in MPL. I, uh, off the top of my head, I don't know Haynes' entire schedule, but the only Grand Prix I remember him attending is is the one he won. <laughs> the the one that he won in his backyard. So I, I I think the case is where you if you have these incentives for for them to be playing eight Grand Prix a year instead, obviously you're going to have much higher level competition and much more to show in terms of a coverage side if you have legitimate pros there almost all every time. Yeah, like this this year he's his plan was to not attend any of them. So the news that that two would count was going uh, against his original plan. But I mean. I, I don't know, Elia, if they've changed. Like, they, they had some coverage, I guess, near tail end of the year, or they were announcing coverage beginning of the year. It's like, if they're not really doing coverage, does it benefit anyone um, that they're attending these things? I'm, I'm not really sure, right? Um, unless they have, like, this concrete coverage plan this year. Which well, I'm I know not Gr- sure. Grand Prix Austin had coverage. 
uh, I think, I assume there's going to be more and more because I, I mean, they flew Caleb D out, for example, who's obviously a great community figure and did a great job doing the commentary right. uh, from, from what I caught. So I think it would be uh, behoove them, especially if, if there's incentives for pros to be there. And, and I mean, even aside from doing video coverage, it's uh, people are going to follow along and look at tournament results and seeing the pro players succeeding and entering in the Grand Prix is going to maybe incentivize you to show up to one. And uh, it's always a bit of a double-edged sword when you get paired against a pro in a Grand Prix because it's, you know, it's nice to play at the, the highest level of competition and against the pros, but obviously, you know, your win rate's going to drop. So <laughs> a bit of give and take, but I mean, seeing pros at magic tournaments, whether you're competing against them or not, is always, uh, always fun. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the, the grind and um, I was surprised yeah, I'm like, why is John asking me and Alex about pre-release GPs? Like, I, I look it up. I'm like, search up CFB events or Magic Fest. Okay, New Jersey in two weeks. There's still ways flying all the way across the country to New Jersey, all the way to the east side. But John, what's going on? I thought we went over this. I thought, like, you're calling me Grandpa Car for a reason. We're too old for this, aren't we? What's going on? Man, all these talented young guns, you know, just... Really, really has inspired me to try and uh, go infinite, you know? Uh, I, definitely, um, I definitely was interested in the OP change and how you can feasibly stay infinite uh, as a replacement of the, for the uh, pro, club th uh, pro club thing. Um, I, I've, I've had countless 11-4s and up um, over the last few years, not, have, not having taken a lot of the tournaments seriously. I have played a lot, a lot of meme decks. As a, as you probably know, um, but yeah, just feel feels like you know I I never really got to travel um, when I was in college, and uh, you know now that I have time and now that before I'm tied down with like family, I thought like it's a nice fun challenge for me to you know try to see see the world, play the game, see the world, try to go infinite, and you know set a goal and see how I do. So it's limited, which kind of sucks, but not really because like I'm kind of being like disillusioned with modern a bit. We can we can talk about that a bit later. Pioneer has felt like a chore, but yeah, limited. I I've low low key liked draft, and I just want to get better at it. And uh, it's a nice challenge. So, oh, and also like I've never been in New York, and uh, uh, a guy working finance that's never been to Wall Street. That seems kind of laughable. So I fi I figure why not why not make a vacation out of it. I'm loving this because then you're gonna be like the proof that it could be done. Someone can have a can balance a full time job and keep staying on, on the grind with those fractional invites and, and between that and everything else to be able to stay on, on the players tour. Uh, before we get with the, with the modern band and, and everything else, Andy, well, were there any new updates uh, from, from our favorite MTGO grinder and Andy underscore Peters? Has he been doing anything uh, lately to, uh, to increase his clout? Um, <laughs> I, I have looked into getting my Moto name changed. It's just, uh, so the, the options are I could just create a new Moto account and uh, just play like, I don't know, open 30 sealed pools with my play points and move it all over. So, so that's an option. It's not good. And uh, other than that, I, or take the hit on my QPs. I think I'm, I'm probably going to stick with Andy underscore Peters and maybe beg them that, uh, to let me change my name. <laughs> but uh, for now, Andy underscore Peters, unnotable MTGO grinder. Have you been doing uh, any, like, grinding any, any more results, any more crushing uh, since our last episode? 
Uh, yeah, I started playing the Niv-Mizzet Bring to Light deck in Pioneer, and I finally found the first Pioneer deck I liked. And it looked like a heaping pile of trash the first time I saw it. But then uh, it, it just is so consistent at uh, getting Niv-Mizzet on turn five. And when you do that, it doesn't really matter what else is going on because <laughs> uh, the card advantage is, is no uh, mid-range deck or slower aggro deck can, can come back from it. And the 6-6 six, six flyer is so massive that it kills really fast. And it's uh, pretty good. So I, I, I 5-0 twice in a row with it, and then I 4-1 to preliminary. And uh, I think it's, uh, my, it's currently definitely my favorite for the, for the Pro Tour. Without a doubt. It would take some convincing to get me not to. And uh, I have a lot of fun with it. It's exactly my style of deck. So I'm pretty uh, pretty happy with uh, with it, considering I was in shambles about Pioneer not even uh, a week ago. I mean, I've seen either you or Elliot post some pretty sick screenshots of insane runs. Yeah, I posted the, the 10-0 just like, oh, I finally found a Pioneer deck I liked trying to get that clout chasing. So people be like, hit me up in the DMs. Like, yo, what's the list? Yo, what's the list? <laughs> the Ben Stark hit this. you up again? <laughs> the Ben Stark hit me up again? No, not this time. Though I do think from time to time about Ben Stark hitting me up. And then I, th- yeah, I'm not going to go too hard on him, but. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, have you, have you ever played the deck as well? Um... Uh, no, I've been, Trying to diversify our assets since we're both preparing for the same Pioneer weekend. I've been playing the Is It in Soul deck, and you know when Annie and I are playing, we're just in hangouts with some other friends. So it's uh, it's basically like I I was part of the 10-0 also, not to brag, uh, but I've had I've had good success with the Is It deck as well. Uh, I'm uh, 12 and three so far, and definitely a lot of really close matches that could have gone either way. I guess in in either direction, but that's uh probably my my front runner of the decks that i've played although i i'm pretty excited about the niv deck as well i'm looking forward to trying that once we once we get closer especially for a a tournament like the pro tour where we're going to have um maybe hopefully a good idea of what a lot of people or other are going to be bringing and that's like a a toolbox style deck between bring to light and niv visit where you can just stick some silver bullets not uh, have too big of an impact when you draw them in their poor matchups, but you know, for example, having Blood Baron of Viscopa against Soul Flare or Mono Black—that's just uh, such a huge, such a huge gain. And then uh, you basically get to be pre-sideboarded with five X copies of it. So I'm excited to play it, and I I think it's hopefully going to pan out to be a good choice. Obviously, not locking anything in though. Yeah, an interesting uh, thing that happened is I told Elliot that I really like the Niv-Mizzet deck and that I was going to order the cards from Face uh, right now so that I could have them. And then I went to go, I don't know, make a coffee or something, and I came back and Elliot had bought out from under me all the copies of Niv-Mizzet. <laughs> well, okay, all the... Face-to-facegames.com had one copy in stock <laughs> thanks to their massive pioneer sales they've had over the past month. And I, I bought the last remaining copy and then offered to go to all of the stores in Montreal, all of them, to find more copies for him. So who's the bad guy now? You're, you're still certainly the bad guy. There's, a, there's definitely a lot of restocking to do with uh, the sales that we've had. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we buy a bunch of cards at uh, F2F Tour Vancouver in, in two weeks. Um, Elliot, what, what have you been seeing uh, when it comes to what people are playing against you? Are, are, are they... 
experimenting with a lot of stuff or is there like a clear tier one that people are gravitating towards? Uh, I have, I'm excited to play to see if people are going to experiment with some of the new cards from Theros, but uh, I haven't played since the set came out uh, earlier today. Uh, I actually did play against a lot of mono red and mono black, and I think that's an uptick because people think it's good against the Nymvisit deck. Mono black has a chance, but I think mono red just gets slaughtered. Uh, mono black, probably also a bad matchup, but you at least have the like discard effects to give you a chance. But I, I think people are out of line and uh, should be playing something else. Those are definitely the top two decks that I play against most often, though. All right, John. John seems to have strong opinions. Here we go. What's 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 the latest update from the lab? <laughs> I, I actually disagree with them. Uh, I think it, no. I think it's it's backwards. So I've been keeping um I've been keeping uh, my own spreadsheet of all the prelim and challenge and like PTQ pioneer PTQ data. Try to get get a good sense of the uh, the uh, winners metagame, so to speak. So I've been doing that for like a month since uh, the last round of banning uh, happened. Um, I'm not unfortunately not going to share this like uh, publicly because uh, trying to keep it in house between our testing uh, testing groups. But I will say that. Um, the bigger red burn and mono black aggro as well as vampire decks have already been uh, seeing a stark increase over the last three, uh, three, three weeks or so. And I think the mono color deck uh, aggro decks are clearly the best deck at the moment. And uh, Nib Mizzet decks were um, a counter to that. First of all, like with Oko around, I don't think Nib Mizzet deck would have been able to exist, period. But now that that plague has been um, kicked out of the uh, out of the way the Niv-Mizzet lists look like a meme but they are actually like no back cards in a very little back cards in the deck and like there's very little that a mid-range deck or um, um aggro deck most aggro decks can do to overcome the card quality the two for ones the kaya Skyle or the Coggins command killing your uh, Heart of Carter Curran and like uh, your creature stuff like that or Supreme Verdict uh, and all that and then this like six six uh, fatty on turn four or five comes down and draws you five cards. Like there's no way in hell you can come back to that. So I actually think the Nibmizit is a response to the mono colored uh, aggro decks um, that are going that are um, increasing popularity. I will share that like recently, uh, bigger red aggro. Um, I refuse to use the word chonky. And I think Chonky Red is a horrible name, so let's not do that. But Bigger Red Aggro, uh, Mono Black Aggro, Blue White Control, and Soul, and Soul Flayer. I've heard, I, I, I've noticed a lot of good players like Simon Nielsen and uh, other noted grind, online grinders have been on Soul Flayer. And normally, unless you curate the uh, prelim and the uh, challenge results, you don't notice that kind of stuff. But this trend has been pretty alarming to me. So that has inspired me to uh, try out Soul Flayer at the very least. Because I really like a lot of, de of these like decks that are powerful abstractly, and they also th that also come attack you from an off angle that no one's prepared for, like the graveyard. Now I think that the graveyard is not going to be a safe space come PT Phoenix, but it doesn't hurt to know the know your enemy at the very <laughs> least. So what? What's, what do you mean? We want the, the return of the Gog. He has to come back. No. No, no god for me. Like I, I think that between like Dredge and like Kepthis with Underground uh, Underworld Breach or like uh, Dr uh, Dredge or a Soul Flayer or even like Traverse, like I think the graveyard is going to be not not so much an open space. 
especially because I, I'm predicting that Lotus Field is like going to kind of fizzle even with the, uh, the Underworld Breach card. Um, Lotus Field combo has been starkly on a decline, and people are going to be cutting those like damping sphere uh, effects for graveyard hate. That's my prediction. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm like reserving judgment on these graveyard decks. But I could be wrong. But yeah, so like the, these monocolored aggro decks, blue eye control, uh, and soul, and stuff like that are um, what's on my mind. And I think they're all good to some extent. And they'll, we'll all see them at PT Phoenix or Nagoya or the uh, PT Brussels. Uh, Brussels. When you I, see, I just I keep envisioning like the the gif of like the Undertaker when he like pops awake <laughs> when John hears that he's allowed to play a graveyard deck again. Just <laughs> oh God, Lord, he's back! <laughs> I think so. I, I I do love. Sorry, Andy, I do love me some uh, Decimator of Provinces. It looks like a meme, but it's actually quite good in that deck. And I I do love uh, making these four four double strike lifelink banding. I don't, I don't know whatever keyword uh, uh, soul flares. They, they look like fun, so I really hope I get to play them. That's my style. Now, one thing about these graveyard decks and pioneers that uh, going back to formats where the power level is even higher, modern legacy and vintage, the best and most played graveyard hate cards are things like Tormod's Crypt, Grafdigger's Cage, Rest in Peace, and Leyline of the Void. And all four of those are legal in Pioneer. And the the graveyard decks while powerful like soul flare are n cannot hold a candle to the decks that we see in those formats where often they'll fold to these graveyard hate so i i definitely wouldn't be excited to to be playing uh, against those cards if people think that the graveyard is uh is something that needs to be targeted uh, I, I certainly don't think that the part the abstract power level of these decks in uh, graveyard decks in pioneer is high enough Whereas in like Dredge or uh, Ant or uh, Legacy Dredge or Hogak, uh, I was talking about modern Dredge or Grishel Brand, like these are Storm. These these decks are abstractly powerful. Uh, theoretically, they can like turn two or three you in modern, and they're or they're very resilient like Dredge in modern. Like I, I can't use any of those adjectives for the Pioneer Graveyard decks. And in my opinion, the the main reason you would pick these is because one. Graveyard is an extremely open space right now, and two, it comes at an angle um, uh, that like, people are not prepared for. Like, you know, Dredge is going wide, or Soul Flayer has a lifelink, like, going tall, and Indestructible and Hexproof. Although, like, the new card Shadow Sphere, uh, we'll get to it later in the preview, I think, but the new card Shadow Sphere is a, a very interesting card to me, and I think that it'll, it'll actually see some play, given that it's an artifact that has applications against aggro that will directly like combat uh, hexproof and uh, indestructible soul flares. So I'm actually, I am actually bull uh, bearish on um, graveyard decks, but uh, for the reasons I outlined, but um, Elliot is definitely right in, in saying that like these aren't like abstractly as powerful as you like to be relative to the format. I have one question for, for John and Andy, John first. Um, no, I, we're we're in this spot where you know we got Andy building his clout, and of course, have to put in those modal results. Uh, how are you going to approach like preparing and, and perhaps needing to keep something closer to the chest as we get closer to, to Phoenix and come in terms of deck ideas? Like, how, how are you viewing that? Well, especially for a new format, uh, new format, and a new, uh, with a new set. I think there is more value than uh, normal in keeping 
your te secret texts and like things you think are exceptionally better than like the rest of the field closer to the vest. I think you can get a good edge on that. The thing is, like I've talked about the information flow and the velocity of how uh, uh, velocity of information traveling in 2020 in Magic is like. There's a lot of good online grinders out there. There's a lot of good creative people um, trying to uh, break it and trying to grind out these QPs or you know get uh, internet clout and just like try to build their brand and all that. And I would posit that if there is a broken deck to be had um, out there. If you're resourceful enough, if, if you're following the right people, if you network uh, well enough, I think you can find it. So I, I'm still going to, uh, you, you guys know I like to post a lot of uh, irrelevant and relevant crap on uh, Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to be a bit more quieter this time around here. As I said, I'm keeping data for my team. You know, I, I'm working with a few testing groups and that we're just like um, trying to like keep everything closer to the best where, where possible. But I wouldn't be surprised if like, uh, great online grinder or like a notable name like takes down a challenge or a prelim with this like super busted deck and uh you know people catch on people are smart and people know how to what, what who to follow on twitter so it's 2020 it's 2020 <laughs> follow file nub now on twitter before he becomes radio silent or makes like a protected account uh and do you care you care that uh, people know that you probably are gonna play nif visit uh, no, I've, I, I think about this from time to time, whether like what's the value in keeping stuff secret versus like sharing it with everybody. I think the value of keeping it secret just isn't there. So for me, for example, I'll share probably anything. I'll share anything that uh, I have thought of or anything that I have. Uh, I don't know anything that I think is like my idea. I'll, I'll feel free to share. If I think it's someone else's, I will. Pr I wouldn't share it just to, unless I ask, but at that point, it's not really like my place to tell that kind of thing. So I'll keep almost everything uh, to everyone if it's something that like I've come up with or I've noticed, because I think there's a lot of value in uh, exchanging information with people. And I think it's important to uh, reach out to as many people as you can. And the odds of it negatively impacting you are so astronomically small. It's pathetically small. So I think uh, it's not even worth considering like, one time ever I've had someone know what I'm playing because I like streamed or tweeted it out at an event that was relevant. And it was a friend of the show, Alex Bianchi knew what I was playing because he watched my stream the date, like two days before at a GP, but it didn't matter because uh, I beat him anyway, if I recall. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think uh, it's better to share because you want other people to be sharing with you. And if everyone keeps everything close to their chest, I think it's going to hurt you. Like you could say stuff behind closed doors, but I think it's important to, uh, I don't know, to brand yourself and reach out to as many people as possible to expand your network. Like there's a lot of people who I've never interacted with before who interact, I interact with all the time on Twitter now. And uh, it's because I keep just like sharing everything I'm thinking about magic out on the internet all the time to, uh, I don't know, educate myself and perhaps uh, share the experience I've had with something. So I'll, I'll share almost everything. Andy underscore Peter's gaining respect along the way. Um, Ellie, do you have any two cents on this? Uh, I pretty much agree with Andy. Uh, obviously, you know, while we are, we have, you know, quite a few listeners, it's not like the biggest 
platform. It is a platform though. And me saying, you know, I'm, you know, being grinding out, is it? And I really like the Niv deck. It's not like Reed Duke's going to be at home writing down, all right, Elliot, is it? Andy, uh, <laughs> Niv is it? Uh, but there definitely, from my opinion, has to be a level of respect to my teammates who, you know, there's a bunch of us all preparing together, sharing ideas and information. And well, it's obviously easy for me to say, well, I'm the one playing is it. So I, I feel entitled to to share how I feel about that deck, that deck in particular. Obviously it is sort of tainted by the fact that, you know, maybe my teammates or have said something to guide me towards arriving there. So, um, you know, do I feel bad about having said that I've been playing is it? No, not at all. But definitely I, I think there is value in, keeping some stuff close to the chest for the sake of just respect for the people who've, who've given me that sort of information that was meant to be private in a team setting. That makes sense to me. Um, all right, let's, let's uh, actually, let's address the, the modern bands quickly. Uh, John, we had some, some expected bands and, and just to get your, your quick reaction on, on Mox Opal being banned, Opal being banned. And of course, um, your favorite Microsoft lettuce was also banned. Um, are you back? Are you back to be happy or, or sad? Well, so let's rewind back a week. You know, I'm, I'm happy as a clam. I love this Eldrazi Tron deck. It fits my play style. It fits my mulligan, uh, mulligany strength. It, 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 it has a high floor now because of the busted uh, turn three Karn uh, coding. Uh, lock. So even the bad, previously bad matchups like Primeval Titan decks or Humans decks are now positive, I think. So I was hoping that um, after the Oko ban, which I think was inevitable, I would be able to like run amok and like, you know, <laughs> rule the modern uh, landscape. So I actually bought the full deck from face-to-facegames.com for <laughs> GP Austin. And of course, on the very next Monday, I think they made a very nonsensical ban of Microsoft like Microsoft Lettuce, I can freaking believe it. It's like unbelievably like frustrating. I get the Oko uh, ban, like see you later, no one misses you. I, I'm sad by, saddened by the Mox Oko ban. I think Mox Oko enabled a lot of uh, cool, unique strategies that are not necessarily oppressive. Like I think that if like uh, Oko deck was oppressive, it was not because of the Oko, although Oko did help. But I understand that like, it's, I understand that it's not a very safe card. It's like abstractly very powerful. Now, Microsoft Lettuce or Microsoft Lattice for normal people, like I didn't get it whatsoever. And the only theory I have is without Oko, um, Eldrazi Tron was putting an accept, unacceptable win rate, which I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, I've been a fan since like October, November. It was ruling the uh, Magic Online scene and it won like five challenge, challenges in a row. A bunch of like noted grinders were picking up and winning with it and like, getting a lot of trophies with that. So I get that if that's the reason, but Ian Duke, who does, like, I'm a big fan of his, like, explanations and his uh, methodology uh, in the BNR uh, notice, but he did say that, like, this is an unfun experience, which is, like, what? Like, it's a 10-mana win the game. Like, have you ever been scapeshifted on turn four for lethal? Have you ever been, like, nut drawn by Neoform on turn one? Like, you want to talk about unfun play experience, and this is why you're banning Microsoft uh, Lattice? I don't freaking buy it. So uh, obviously I'm very uh, frustrated. I think this saved Modern to an extent, but I feel very disillusioned because, you know, my first deck was Cheerios. It's now, Opal's now gone. Gretchen Brand, who I taught, uh, with which I top-aided uh, GP with, Faithless Looting is gone. Dredge, which I won uh, 
SCG Vegas with, with um, Cyrus and Marcus. Now, looting is gone, and it's uh, being severely neutered. And now Eldrazitron, which I just bought like a week ago, because I thought it was safe, now it's missing its biggest piece, and I'm not sure how competitive or a tier one it is. So I've had like four, like I've had like four or five of my favorite decks like just getting banned out of Oblivion or like severely neutered to a point where I don't recognize the deck. And like <laughs> I think this is good for a modern, but like at some point it's like this is so fucking exhausting. Like how like how much more can I like take this? You know, buying these uh, decks because I like them. Like putting like man hour as well as dollars into it, and then like only to have a ban. Like I get like what Watsi's doing, but like I'm I'm so tired of it. So like I was saying to like everyone that you know I'm just I think I'm just gonna take a hiatus from modern. I'm very frustrated. I'm very exhausted. Like this cost of like collection uh, collection value loss is real. So is like the loss of like the number of hours that you've sunk, sunk into this um, into these decks are real. So. I don't know, man. I, I think the changes are good, but I'm still pretty, pretty, uh, pretty freaking frustrated. <laughs> Let it all out, John. Let it all out. We've been here for years feeling the exact same thing you're feeling right now. <laughs> when they banned Amulet, they banned Twin, they banned Pod. You're, you're just now catching up. Now you, too, can be a grumpy old grinder. Uh, right of passage. Let's go. One could one could argue that if you're a, a competitive uh, modern player and you haven't had any of your decks banned, you probably have picked the wrong modern deck. Yeah. Now you get to say how smart you are. They banned yeah. everything you've ever owned. Yeah. Except you complained about Grishel Brand getting banned by looting, and that's definitely not a brag. <laughs> no, I was I was not bragging. Okay. I like the deck. I like jamming. Uh, I, I, I like not having to jam turn one combos and like praying to RNGs that they don't have a force negation. Grishel Brand was actually fun. Grishel Brand actually could beat and farm blue white decks, but now I can't. And I just have to like, hope and like pray and like that they don't have a force negation spell center or whatever, which is frustrating. Yeah, this is sort of the problem with uh, what modern has become, right? Like modern. I legitimately have been saying this for a bit is just completely unfixable at this point. Like it can be good for like small periods of time, but it will just constantly get broken. And like there's because everything gets so narrowed down to only the most powerful that like it just becomes about getting more narrow than other people. And then eventually something becomes too good and you got to ban it. And that's just constantly what modern's going to do. And that's why modern can't survive. It, it can't be around forever. It just, it's why something like Pioneer has to exist because modern as designed is not supposed to last forever. Uh, let, me, let me say this before uh, we move on. Matsugan, the noted uh, Japanese maniacal deck builder who I have a lot of respect for, said that, remarked that um, the gameplay is as good as uh, it's been in modern. The interactivity is as good as it's been in modern. And like, We've had like banned Snowblade or Stoneforge Mystic or you know Teferi control decks that are actually like some of the best decks out there. Even Urza was a fair interactive deck, so I get that. It's ironic that how like the most peaceful period of uh, or most fair period of modern had to come because uh, because of a catalyst that was one of the most egregious play design mistakes of all time. But I mean, there are, there have been periods where Jund and like Blue White Control were some of the best decks out there. So I'm not sure if I buy your complete uh, argument fully, but I agree that for modern, it's mostly an arms race. <laughs> there's some some things just have different guns, dude. Now there's Mystic Sanctuary, like that's going to be a problem. I can see it pretty soon. 
it just never stops. And it is, uh, it is endlessly frustrating to try and play modern and everything's so linear in different directions, which is why a lot of like people who play competitively are, are frustrated with the format because everything is linear in so many different directions. You can't possibly plan for it all. So then you play against the guy who's only plays boggles and you have no outs and that's frustrating <laughs> because the percentages go so high and so low in win rates in modern. And that's why it sucks. I don't like it, and I haven't liked it for a long time. Um, that was actually one of the best rants on the show ever, John. So don't worry about it. Probably, probably would probably make my my top five list. Top five for straight rants. Um, okay. Good time, good time to just jump into something more exciting, which is top five heroes beyond death. And uh, we'll start things off. We'll start things off with <laughs> Elliot. Oh, you know a rant is coming. <laughs> I'm actually, I don't know. I feel like my top five is pretty tame this time. I'm not incredibly passionate about anything. Uh <clears throat> My number one card is Ox of Agonis, which is a 4-2 for 3 red-red that has ETB, discard your hand, draw three cards, and escape exile eight cards and pay red-red. Uh, and it escapes the plus one swing counter, so it comes back as a 5-3. Uh, so th th this card is definitely a consideration for eternal formats. There's a chance that there's some weird deck and pioneer or, or standard that wants it but probably not but this is like 100 percent modern dredge uh, this is one of the things they lost when they lost faithless looting was the ability to get uh get back into it in the late game when you get to the point of just you know you dredge once a turn or maybe you get the uh forbidden cave forgotten cave plus life on the loam engine going that can give you some some extra speed and velocity in the late game but this is going to be just a big whammy you know you you do your thing maybe you get wrath or whatever it is and it lets you do it again instantly instant rebuild for paying red red uh, so i think this one you know is, is will be will breathe a bit of life back into dredge even though it doesn't have looting anymore uh my next card is dryad of the elysian grove which is a two four for two and a green that lets you play an additional land on each of your turns, and it has the prismatic omen text of your your lands are every basic land type. Uh, this card, I, I think, is just going to be multi-format all-star. Uh, in in modern, there's like Valakit considerations. You can play something similar to what we saw previously with the the Simic Oko Titan decks, except uh, obviously you can't have Oko anymore, but uh, throw a couple of Valakits in there. People are talking about not even playing mountains with your Valakits, just relying on the Dryad. Uh, and then, you know, whether it's Primeval Titan as your payoff, or maybe you're a bit more all-in and you have the scape shifts, you can kill instantly on turn six when you get Valakits when you have this in play. Because you, uh, you know, scape shift with six lands and Dryad in play is like something like 70-something damage off the top of my head, because you get uh, 12 triggers is that right is it only 12 triggers so 40 damage oh whatever there's no way to know i can't do the math right now but uh definitely you know has the potential in modern to do some busted things and then in in pioneer and standard as well the ability to play an extra land every turn is very powerful uh the last time we saw this it was on a 5-5 that couldn't attack until you got the city's blessing and even that has seen some play in pioneer already sam black uh was brewing around it 
So the ability to play extra lands in combination with Tireless Tracker in that format, potentially very powerful. Um, we're living in a world where we now have, you know, Growth Spiral, Arboreal Grazer, this, and the, the Uro Titan um, as cards that pay you off for playing lots of lands and, and accelerate your mana quickly. So there's potentially a critical mass of those even in standard. Uh, so that's definitely one to keep your eye on. Uh, next for me is Shatter the Sky, which is uh, two white, white Wrath of God. Each player who controls a creature with power four or greater draws a card. Um, you know, four mana Wraths are something that's very far and few between. Uh, ones that off the top of my head that we've seen recently, you know, it's pretty much just Languish, which is was was close to Wrath of God contextually in the format, but definitely a far cry from the total powerful effect. And I think it's possible to exploit this card to the point where you're not even at a card disadvantage. You know, Gideon Blackblade is in standard, uh, you know, borderline playable in Pioneer as well, uh, has indestructible and can give indestructible as well. So that's, you know, potentially some, some combo considerations. There's also uh, Heliod, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, which is a 5-5 five five if you have the devotion to it and would draw you a card and is pretty good as just an enchantment if you're doing some interesting things. So definitely potential to see a combination with both of those cards. And even if you're a control deck, if you're in the position where you're casting a Wrath effect, giving your opponent one card probably isn't that bad. You're just going to be gaining so much advantage from, from destroying all their creatures that it's not the end of the world and the mana efficiency of it uh, in Pioneer, you're looking at a format with mono black and mono red are, are super big right now. In standard, uh, previously we've had these gruel aggro decks. There's definitely potential for aggro to be a big thing going forward. I think that's going to see a lot of play in, in both of those formats. Uh, my fourth card is Heliod's, this, Heliod's Sun Crowned. Uh, two and a white for a 5-5 five, five god. So it's not a creature unless your devotion is five or more. Uh, has indestructible. Whenever you gain life, put a 1-1 one, one counter on target creature or enchantment you control. And one and a white, another target creature gains lifelink until end of turn. Uh, instantly, there's the pioneer and modern implications of this is a combo with walking ballista. If you can have a 2-2 walking ballista, give it lifelink, you can deal infinite damage. That's a win. And gain infinite life as well. There's a few other ways to go infinite with this in pioneer. Uh, people are are you know, positing you play Boros Reckoner with uh, Boros Charm or some other way to give your Boros Reckoner indestructible. An indestructible life-linking Boros Reckoner gives you infinite life. Uh, that's another combo. And then in that case with Heliod, you can grow it infinitely large and also kill your opponent at that point because the Boros Reckoner will keep shooting itself uh, pretty easily, uh, or at least make your creatures arbitrarily large. So that's just has the potential to go busted. And then even in standard with something like uh, Daxos, which is a soul sister creature and other incidental ways to gain life, I think this has potential as sort of a mid-rangey card where maybe it doesn't even turn on as a creature very often, but just growing and pumping things like a Johnny's Pride Maid. And we also have the, a Johnny Planeswalker that can make a Johnny's Pride Maid's tokens. So you can have eight of them. Uh, you know, has, has a chance to be, you know, at least cool. Uh, and then my last card, which is the full spike card, is Nyx Lotus, a four-mana artifact. ETB's tapped, and when you tap it, you it's a Nykthos activation, so you gain mana equal to your devotion. There's some some mega busted decks with this going around going around the Twitterverse. Uh, 
even in standard, there's like a mono blue devotion deck that takes advantage of Thassa and Arcanist Owl, I think is the name of the card, which is a quad blue, blue hybrid card. So you basically can build up a ton of devotion and draw a bunch of cards. There's Thassa's Oracle, which lets you dig a ton of cards deep. Uh, as well, there's Kiora, the Planeswalker, which you can untap and untap a permanent, so you can get even more mana that way with the Nyx Lotus. Uh, there's just a ton of potential. The standard also has some really good payoffs for the mana. You can, for example, Gadwick, draw a bunch of cards. There's Hydrocrasis, which is, you know, if you if you move in the blue-green direction, has potential. Uh, Leyline of Anticipation is a card that's legal and standard for some reason. Adds a bunch of blue devotion and synergizes with, uh, you know, pretty much all of these cards. So I think this is going to be one that's really interesting uh, and has the potential to do some really busted things in standard. Definitely a downside that it enters the battlefield tap, but when you when you combine it with something like Kiora, it comes down and at least taps once that turn, and it, it you know you can do some broken things immediately. Uh, so that's that's my top five: Ox of Agonis, Dryad of Lilizian Grove, Nyx Lotus, Heliod Suncrowned, and Shatter the Sky. That's all I got. Okay, Andy, what do you think? You thought one of his picks sucks? Oh, he's just like oh, he's like oh, I think my list is pretty good. I think it's not bad, but it. It ain't it. Do you want me to go into mine? Can I? May I? Um, do, do you hate the? Is there a card that you hate, specifically hated, like the ox? Or no, that was just like. Well, the ox is the coward's way out. It's going to be good in dredge, but dredge ain't good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's see, let's hear your list. All right. So, uh, Theros is the enchantment set. So naturally, my top five is all enchantment cards because if you pick anything else, you're doing it wrong. So first, I'll I'll hit the ones that that Elliot hit on. I also have Heliod in my list for the Pioneer Modern Implications. Uh, it's just too too powerful to ignore of what it could be in those formats. Even if it doesn't end up being the best deck, it, it'll still be powerful, and people will still play it. So Heliod, likely slam dunk. Uh, and then the Dryad of the Elysian Grove. There's no way to know how to pronounce that. It's a fictional <laughs> name. Uh, I think it'll be uh, really good in Pioneer and uh, – sorry, not Pioneer, in Modern. There's already a couple kind of decks that could play it. It could end up being good in Pioneer. Uh, currently, there's no real home for it. But uh, what I did see is I saw someone playing it in Standard with uh, Experimental Frenzy. So they could just play multiple lands off the top. And uh, that looked pretty interesting, especially because, like, let's say you have, like, Constellation Synergies at all. It's an enchantment. Uh, uh, the Frenzy is an enchantment. So maybe there's, like, some way to go off with that kind of stuff. And then you could, yeah. So that's good. And so the next one is, we're going to start with cards that are not on Elliot's list. And the first is uh, Nightmare Shepherd. And if you don't know what that is, it's two black black for a 4-4 flying creature. It's an enchantment creature because if it has to be good, they slapped enchantment on it. It says, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a 1-1 Nightmare and so what, why this is really good is that uh, there's some good stuff going on in standard for mono black, I think. So like it kind of goes really well with dudes like Aria where you sack your own stuff. And you could like bring back gray merchants. So you like gray merchant them. You could use Aria to sack the gray merchant, get another gray merchant, and that almost kills them immediately. So that is super powerful. And I think it's just a really powerful card in standard. We've seen like big flying demons be really good in standard a bunch. And I think one, uh, if you have other cards that they're going to want to remove in combat, I think it's going to end up being pretty damn good. So that one's a pick for just standard, but I think it 
if Mono Black makes it mar its mark, it's going to be one of the best cards. Uh, next, we have Thassa, the Deep Dwelling. So we've seen the card uh, Soul Herder in uh, Modern. Is that what it's called? The three, the blue-white guy? Yes. So where it blinks stuff every turn. And that was powerful. And it's not really powerful just because of the body. It's powerful because of the end of the turn exile effect. So I think something like that in Pioneer could be really interesting. And what it does in Standard is, is incredibly powerful. If you can find a way to get a bunch of mana, you can just tap all your opponent's creatures forever with, uh, with the Nyx thing. And then uh, keep blinking your owl to get the card advantage to find you other good cards and I think it's going to end up being, if Mono Blue is playable, it's going to be the, be the best card in the, in the deck. Especially because, like, Owl in this, and it's already turned on all by itself. And that's uh, pretty powerful. And the last one I have is Wolf Willow Haven. So it's one in a green for an enchantment aura. Enchant a land. Whenever that land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional green. So what this is, this is a two-mana ramp effect that is actively good with Wilderness Reclamation. We do not have that outside of Growth Spiral in Pioneer or in Standard. And so that kind of effect is extremely unique, especially because it has another ability. So four and a green, sack this, create a 2-2. Two -two. Oh, yeah. And so, like, the fact that if you're, flood, if you're flooding out, you can do anything with it, or like, you can do something with it is, is pretty important, I think, against, like, aggressive decks. And I think what it's going to end up being is going to be, like, one of the linchpin pieces that can make a Wilderness Reclamation deck playable in Pioneer and Standard one before it wasn't at all. So this card's going to be, like, super important, I think. And I think it's, it's just really powerful. We've seen cards almost identical to this uh, be played in Modern and uh, other formats in their Standard formats. So I think it's going to be uh, a really good card. And that's my list. Y'all can cash that check in a couple weeks. I'm I'm loving this. I'm loving both of the lists. Pretty good. Some some diversity uh, for different reasons. I love it. Okay, John, bring her home. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll have a more eternal uh, sort of outlook, but I'll try to cover standard as well. Honorable mention goes to Shadow Sphere, which I don't think anyone's really talked about, but it's the one mana uh, equi legendary equipment that has lifelink and trample, as well as uh, the ability to erase uh hexproof and indestructible and uh, i'm thinking especially in terms of pioneer and how any deck can like play this and like uh have it against aggro as well as um uh soul flare so even though no one's, no one's really talking about this i think this card will see a lot of play um number five here i think i'll go with the dryad of the elysian grove um both of, both are uh, both, both my cohorts have already covered this so i'm not going to go into it too much i think that there's a lot of uh like building uh build around space here it's just like got a lot of good things going in terms of uh uh the explore explore on a stick and the omen and just having like a nice defensive body and i'm especially interested to see what they what what it does in terms of like a valka deck or a field deck a mostly valka deck without mountains so it's like a free-ish uh build around without a lot of like uh, cost uh, deck building costs, uh, which is to say uh, having to include mountains, because Valakit uh, in modern is basically a mono green deck that happens to have mountains, which is very awkward. Um, my number four is going to be Thassa's Oracle. I don't think either of you guys talked about this, and I, it's going to be an innocuous looking uh, card, but this is basically um, going to replace Laboratory Maniac um, in a lot of combo decks in an eternal format. It's going to be strictly better, I believe, in most of them, except for uh, uh, Neoform, because Neoform can't draw your entire deck 
down to the exact card. It's in the multiple sevens. So it might not work there, but I'm talking about like legacy, like cephalic breakfast or um, whoops all spells or malice stretch or more relevant in modern is uh, ad nauseum. And there's a bunch of noise on Twitter right now about how ad nauseum is back. And that could be because of the uh, lack of or a decrease in potential karmic uh, creator decks as well as Oko uh, being gone. And this uh, Thassus Oracle basically lets you kill with a, a spoils of the vault for one mana less. So um, it might speed up the, uh, the deck appreciably as well as provide uh, a strictly better win condition for Laboratory Maniacs. So I think it's an unheralded, but a good addition to the eternal format for combo decks. Uh, my number three is Ox Vagonis. As, I, uh, as my two cohorts have um, covered as well, I'm not gonna go into it too much. I am, however, very hopeful that this will revitalize Dredge uh, in modern. Uh, this is because one of the stark differences between the pre-looting and the post-looting uh, dredge list is because it ran out of fuel very, uh, very often, and I was losing fair uh, magic, uh, magic uh, games, and where the opponent was just um, putting up bigger blockers, and like we couldn't get through, and I didn't have gas. That was never the case with um, looting. Um, Life from the Loam and Forgotten Cave does a similar impression, but it's not as good. Sodek, uh, the noted dredge streamer, has been uh, streaming this today, and it looks pretty damn good so far. So I'm hoping that this will uh, inspire a little bit of uh, building around the decklist to accommodate the ox, because I think it is worth building around. I think it's going to be good in dredge. Number two is going to be Thassa Deep Dwelling. Uh, uh, I think both of you guys have also covered it. And again, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but it's just like uh, I've seen it in standard lists in terms of uh, ramp or like other blue decks, as well as like, I think it has like pioneer potential as well um, in blue devotion. It's just like a lot of good things going on in terms of the rate and the tap ability. And I also noted that um, you can like, you can like, act a treason, a, de uh, a creature, and like blink it and return it under your control permanently, which is kind of a cool thing to do. I'm not sure if that minutia is going to be relevant, but um, I just think that there's going to be a lot of good things going for um, the blink ability. And uh, I'm not creative enough to uh, really think of all the ramifications, but power level is, I think is very high. And uh, last but certainly not least is Underworld Breach. And uh, if you guys know me, I'm very big uh, combo aficionado, and you guys shouldn't be surprised that this is my number one card. This is um, as this is as close to we've gotten to Yogmoth Will in a long time, like even beyond Passing Flames, for example. I think there's there's a tremendous amount of potential. I'm not sure what the show is. I'll let Hive Mind and the smarter people than me uh, figure it out. But some of the ideas include like Lotus Field combo in Pioneer, reworking that. Kept this combo in both Pioneer and Modern, even though you probably have to work that a bit. And even in Legacy, where there, where like you can streamline like and or tests in an appreciable way to be, make this like either more explosive or more um, resilient, be especially because like uh, tests doesn't rely on the graveyard that much. Although like I'm not sure how good it'll be there. And just like reading the enchantment and just like having being that close to Yawgmoth will like. I'm confident putting this as my number one 
even though I am not clear on which archetypes it'll uh, fit the best in. That's how confident I am because the power level of this card is through the roof and the potential is also through the roof. So I hope someone out there, some, uh, someone with a more galactic brain than me can figure it out. I'm very confident that uh, we will and uh, we'll see some cool combo decks there. So to uh, recap here, number five, I have Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Number four, Thassa's Oracle. Number three, Ox of Gonus. Number two, that's a deep dwelling. And my number one card is Underworld Breach. Sick. Sick stuff. Uh, all awesome list. Uh, Andy, I think you're going to need to, for Phoenix, bring it, put a name tag, put like Andy underscore Peters on moto. <laughs> Some people know. Once you take it down, once you take it down, people will I get no respect for John. I don't get anything. I wonder if, like, I just need to know for, like, my own, uh, my own confidence. If he, like, when he's like, oh, this Andy Peters. If that's what he said. I need to know how he says my name. He says everyone else in, like, a half whisper as if there's some sort of god. You're like, this is Tan Graham's list. <laughs> but with me, it's just like, uh, it's Andy Peters. <laughs> you are a sickle, magical online noted crusher. Everyone knows <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I don't name drop you nearly as much is because you just don't play the types of decks I like. It's too fair, it's too combo happy, and it's not combo you're degenerate enough. But that doesn't mean that I don't respect the hell out of your, you and your accomplishments online. And Listen, I can get used to this. Elliot, what do you got for me? <laughs> I don't know. You're all right. Car? Car? <laughs> I think you're a noted moto grinder. You're a noted moto grinder. Not the uh, we made it. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to wash off the popper stink, though. Nobody respects popper grinders, and you're just like one of them. So, hey, I was recently on a uh, popper podcast, <laughs> which comes out this week. Sick. Uh, what's uh, what's the name of the pod so we can plug it? It's a popper players podcast by a man whose handle on Twitter is like Fusile, F U C I L E. Plays a lot of Popper. He was qualified for the Popper Championship. If you love Popper, you should check it out because the guy knows what he's talking about. He also has a silky smooth voice. Triple P, man. The Triple P show. Um, I like, yeah, I love how, like, I guess easy or fast that Ginger was able to, I guess, sort of build his brand because um, it, it's not like he has infinite Twitter followers, but being like the trophy hunter and then... So that's the key, right? It's like all these other people, what they do is they chase trophies. And like yeah. once you like have in your Twitter, like what do you call it? The background up there, you in like first place in the trophy race, all of a sudden you're somebody. But if you don't feel like playing a, like 400 leagues in a season and you'd rather just crush every single challenge you play, that ain't good enough. Maybe you should just put that as part of your brand, like Booker T. Five time. <laughs> Five time, five time. Moto Challenger champion. <laughs> I'll put those accomplishments up there. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's the other part of the equation. Um, so is there anything else, uh, Andy, before we go? Uh, I just want to, you know, mourn my Baltimore football Ravens in public. Yeah. It's one of the, the first time I've ever felt like my team was favored to win a championship, like above 50%. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it hurt a lot, but uh, Lamar Jackson, second year player, he'll 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 bring it all together. He's the MVP, baby. 
it was not just that. It's just like huge favorite to win that specific game. Like pop, I think probably. Yeah. Like I don't know if Derrick Henry was always six four two fifty, but he certainly was. He looked like he's like three hundred pounds, but was the fastest guy in the whole on the field. <laughs> his it looked like his legs were bigger than the other players. <laughs> Huge impact, um, Elliot. Anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to shout out my favorite team, the uh, Tennessee Football Titans. They really <laughs> took the Ravens to pound town, best team in the league. Ryan Tannehill, MVP baby. It's okay. They're going to lose to Keith Capstick this weekend. <laughs> John, John, anything else? Uh, let's pour one out for my Patriots, who was oh. my for this year. I'm a mercenary. I have some money on them. And Derrick Henry just like made a fool out of them. Um, I, I think that's something we can all share, Andy. That's brutal. But... He wasn't this big last time I looked. <laughs> you, what, are you, what are you implying? Do, He's do you so to... big. I, think I know you, he is. I think you just saw him standing next to Mark Ingram. Oh, my God. Um, shout out to the modern format, which I think got rescued. But if you can tell my enthusiasm, I'm not that enthused because all my decks have been banned. So I'll be hiding. I'll probably go into hiding from modern for a bit. And uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe some people can, you know, figure out some cool under, underworld breach shit or some other modern crap. Uh, otherwise, I'm not that um, enthused to play modern. But for people who uh, want to love it, I think it's going to be as best as it's been. So hooray. Good, good. Elliot, you're actually rooting for the Titans? They're actually your team? No, no, no. I was just okay. <laughs> I, was, I was rooting for Baltimore because I, I think Lamar Jackson's really exciting to watch. And I was also somewhat rating for, rooting for the Patriots because it's, uh, people hate when they win, and that's funny. So I've, I've been really been browned by the, the Titans <laughs> twice now. <laughs> yeah, we all Titan fans now. Whoa, whoa. I'm sure for the Keith Capstick. I think uh, I'm going to take it down. Kermit the Frog going to throw <laughs> five TDs. <laughs> He's so good. I mean, I mean, but Derrick Henry has made such a huge impression on like some analysts are even calling him like the best player uh, left uh, in the tournament. And uh, obviously, I find that kind of crazy with with Mahomes still left. So we're gonna see if he, he beats Mahomes. Man, I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say if I the mean, Titans win. I saw a crazy stat about the Titans. They haven't attempted a field goal since Week 15. They just is, all they do is score touchdowns. It's all they do, and I don't think there's a, I don't think there's going to be a single player on the field who can stop Derrick Henry when he has the ball in his hands. Their their red zone proficiency is unprecedented in the second half, and the threat of Derrick Henry makes for some pretty lethal um, play action. So they're quite good. They're a very good story to follow, even though um, they beat my uh, Patriots and my ruined my Vegas uh, Super Bowl ticket. All right. I love the final four, and I'm excited Sunday to see how that unravels uh, for the rest of the guys. Uh, good luck. Have fun at all your pre-releases. Um, I've checked, like, the back end for face-to-face. There's, there's a lot of people, like, over 70-ish players have pre-registered for whether Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I think that might be unprecedented for, for like, a, a second set in a block that we've had so many pre-registered. But that's also because maybe they're they're getting a box and they get one of the buy a box promos is is one of those cool looking lands. Uh, but it seems like even though people are like, hey, why are people playing in real life when it was available on Moto and Arena? But people like based on the numbers, people are really excited 
for Theros uh, Beyond Death. So uh, let's hope everyone has a fun release. And John, wherever you play to, to hone your limited skills, I, I wish you luck. That. Good night, everyone. <laughs>